0: Chapter 17 of The Wishing Horse of Oz by Ruth Plumley Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Beth Thomas. Chapter 17: Scamperoo in Oz. In the company of Scraps, the Scarecrow, the Royal Visitors, and all the amusing members of Ozma's Court, the Emperor and Chalk passed a gay and hilarious morning. The tableaus and pageants proceeded without a single hitch, and no one seemed to miss Dorothy or Pegasus at all. Nor did anyone notice the omission of the carefully planned groups showing the wizards' arrival in Oz, Dorothy's first visit to the Emerald City, or the victory of Nick Chopper over the wolves. These interesting and historical events might just as well never have happened. Not Circus, later in the afternoon, went off with a bang, even without Pigasus to jump through hoops and fly round the ring waving flags, while Scraps did her balance-defying acts on the trapeze and tightrope. The picnic supper was even more fun than the circus, and the fireworks set off by Tick-Tock, who was in no danger of scorching himself, were the best of all. Indeed, Scamperoo's first day in the Emerald City had been so full and so interesting, he had not made a single wish or once thought of his magic emeralds. Funny, we never had jolly times like this at home, mused Scamperoo, putting out the emerald stars in the ceiling that pleasantly lighted his green apartment, and burrowing happily down into his green bed. Oh, Chalk, are you asleep there, old horse? As no answer came from the other bed, Scamperoo let himself sink a bit deeper into the luxurious nest of silken covers and soon was asleep himself, puffing and whistling like a steamboat. But the strange and frightful snoring of the emperor did not seem to stop nor scare away the shadowy figure that presently came stealing into the royal chamber. Once, twice, three times, long, skinny fingers reached out towards the thick neck of the snoring ruler of Oz. The fourth time, There were three distinct little clips, and when the curving, talon-like claw withdrew, it had in its clutching grasp the three powerful wishing chains. Then, without waking the occupant of either bed, the thief stole quietly into the shadows. Now the Scarecrow, delighted with the success of the celebration so far, had suggested a series of athletic contests and obstacle races for the next day, and Scamperoo had heartily agreed to his plan. His first thought on waking was the race to be run by the straw man and himself, the scarecrow on the wooden sawhorse, he on his splendid white charger. I'll wear the white leather breeches and shirt, puffed Scamperoo, bounding out of bed like a schoolboy. He had taken a shower and donned his showy riding clothes before he missed his magic emeralds. Then, all at once, as he stood before the mirror to comb his hair, he gave a loud squall of anguish. Chalk! Chalk! roared the distracted emperor, racing over to the balcony and leaning so far out over the railing he nearly fell on his crown. They're gone! They're gone! My emeralds! My necklaces! My necklaces! My emeralds! Now Chalk, who had risen early to nibble the clover while it was still fresh with morning dew, looked up in alarm. Then, as his master's voice grew louder and louder and his gestures more spectacular and desperate, the white horse rose up on his hind legs and shook his head in violent warning and displeasure. Hush! He directed in a low voice. I'll be right up! Making his way quickly but cautiously, so as not to arouse the curiosity of any of the palace servants, already at work in the lower hallways, Chalk hurried up to the agitated emperor. They're gone," blubbered Scamperoo, sitting on the edge of the bed and crying like a baby. Gone! Now everything is ruined, and I'll have nothing left at all. Well, you still have me," murmured Chalk, resting his head affectionately on Scamperoo's shoulder. "Brace up, Kingaling, and for ode's sake, be quiet." No one here knows about the necklaces, and until the rascal who has stolen them learns how to use them, we are as safe as soap. That rascal, of course, is Martia. Somehow he has managed to cross the deadly desert. Yes. Chalk shook his mane wrathfully. I am convinced... Convinced that Martia has the necklaces, but what good are they to him when we alone know the secret that makes them work? He'll have to come to us in the end. And when he does, ha <laughs> ha Chalk expelled the air from his nose in a terrific snort. Just let me take care of him. But shouldn't we give the alarm? Have a search made for him, and try to recover the emeralds? Let him alone. "'counseled the wishing horse firmly. "'The thing for you to do is to sit tight on the throne of Oz. "'Remember, you are still the emperor.' "'But how can I be without the emeralds?' "'Scamperoo dabbed at his eyes with the satin bedsheet. "'We got along all right yesterday,' said Chalk calmly. "'Come, cheer up, Scamper. "'Everything will be all right.' I rather counted on beating the Scarecrow in that race this morning, muttered Scamperoo wistfully. How can you run as fast as that tireless wooden creature who was magically brought to life? Well, wasn't I magically brought to life? The white horse shook his mane roguishly. Come along, king Aling. ling We'll not only win that race, but we'll have back our necklaces and chase Matia out of Oz before we are through. I... I really believe you can do anything, sighed Skamperoo, getting almost cheerfully to his feet. But just the same, I shall keep a sharp lookout for Matya. He might start a revolution. He'll revolute pretty rapidly if I once get my heels on him, promised Chalk with a wicked grin. Come on, heads up and who's afraid? However... In spite of the white horse's valiant attempts to comfort him, Scamperoo spent a troubled and uneasy day casting fearful glances behind him when no one was looking, searching the happy holiday crowds with haggard glances for a glimpse of the long, thin face of Matia the merchant. Even when Chalk beat the sawhorse in their long, exciting race through the park, and the crowds cheered themselves hoarse with delight and approval, the victory was spoiled by the knowledge that somewhere in the Emerald City lurked his most dangerous and relentless foe. Chalk, too, though he pretended to regard the matter lightly, was almost as worried as his master, and spent every free moment poking his head into doorways and peering down side streets and rearing up over walls. And while Scamperoo was having his afternoon nap, the White Horse systematically searched the palace from top to bottom, even the cellar. But in the cellar, chalk did not go quite far enough, for it was in a hollowed-out chamber under the cellar that the merchant of Scampavia was really hidden. Here, with a goodly supply of food stolen from the pantry, Matia had seriously settled down to work out the problem of the emerald necklace. He had meant to conceal himself in the cellar itself, but when his foot brushed against an iron ring in the floor, he had lifted it up, and discovered to his delight and satisfaction this still more secluded and safe retreat. The tunnels and rocky chambers below the palace had been constructed and used by Ruggedo, the old Gnome King, when he was plotting to capture the Emerald City. Ruggedo himself had been captured, but the underground caves and passageways had been left pretty much as they were. There were a number of chairs, a rough bed and table, and numerous candles and lamps. Altogether, it made an ideal workshop for the merchant to try out his experiments. In the cellar, he might easily have been discovered by any of the kitchen boys sent down for supplies, but in Ruggedo's old hideout he could be sure of complete privacy. Lighting the largest of the lamps that hung on its rusty chain over the table, Martia seated himself on a rickety old chair and prepared to concentrate with all his will power on the glittering emeralds. In the sickly green light, he made a strange and sinister figure as he bent over the table, mumbling and chattering to himself. But after a whole day, in which he tried every known formula and combination, touching each gem in succession as he made his wish and counted to a hundred, He was still no nearer to the solution of the mystery than he had been in Scampavia. First, he had tried the diamond clasp of the third necklace, sure that that was the key to their power. But nothing at all had happened, and the trick of the magic emeralds continued to elude him. To have in his fingers the means to immense power and good fortune, and still be unable to benefit, was so infuriating, Martia began to stamp, splutter, and beat his chest with rage and disappointment. Was it for this he had bribed a red eagle with the promise of three wishes to carry him across the deadly desert? Even now the mammoth bird was waiting impatiently on the edge of a little wood near the city, ready to tear him to pieces if he failed to fulfil his part of the bargain. No daylight penetrated into the tunnel chamber, and hardly realising that it was now midnight, Matia, from sheer weariness and exasperation, finally gave up and fell asleep, his head on the table, his hands still clutching the provoking chains. Footsteps pattering overhead wakened him at last, and also told him someone had come to the cellar for supplies. Stretching wearily, he rose, and going over to the stone steps, cautiously ascended and lifted the trapdoor. Now thoroughly convinced that the necklaces would not work unless worn by someone else, he determined to seize the first person entering the cellar and compel him to help. The merchant did not have long to wait. All unconscious of the part he was to play in Mattia's dark schemes, a young kitchen boy came whistling his way toward a great golden bin of potatoes. The bin was just beyond the trapdoor, and lowering it to a mere crack, Mattia let the boy pass. Then, as he leaned down to fill his basket... The wily merchant flung up the trapdoor, fell on the boy, and carried him kicking and screaming down the stairs. Here, with threats, promises, and innumerable shakings, he finally reduced the poor lad to a state of frightened submission. With the sparkling necklaces round his neck, he touched one and then another of the emeralds as Martia wished and counted and counted and wished. After each unsuccessful trial, the merchant would rage and stamp and shake his fists till the boy was quite convinced he was in the presence and power of a madman, and frantically waited for someone to overhear Martia's ravings and come down to rescue him, but nobody did. While the unfortunate kitchen boy was spending a miserable morning in the underground chamber, Scamperoo and Chalk were going through the motions of enjoying themselves above stairs, but without any real zest or pleasure. Only half-heartedly Skamperoo laughed at the jokes of the Scarecrow, and Chalk, for all his bright interest in the long recital of Kabumpo's adventures, was really in a fidget of uneasiness, trying to keep an eye on all the doors and windows in the throne room at once. Something was going to happen. The White Horse felt it in every bone. And just as the soft musical gong sounded the call for luncheon, his worst fears were realised. Suddenly, without reason or warning, the castle was plunged into total darkness. Thumps, bumps, hysterical shouts and screams followed closely on the heels of this disconcerting event. Chalk, who had been standing back of Scamperoo, immediately leaned forward and grasped his impetuous little master by the seat of his royal breeches. "'Be still!' Commanded the White Horse, through his teeth and the white leather of Skamperoo's riding pants, and he held on for dear life, as the Emperor, like all the rest of the court and guests, tried to rush in every direction. He's done it, he's done it, and everything is ruined, wailed Skamperoo, struggling in vain to pull away from Chalk. Martia has discovered the secret of the necklaces, and now we are ruined. Do you hear? Ruined. I hear, hissed Chalk giving Scamperoo a little shake. And so will everyone else, unless you shut your mouth. Be quiet, I tell you. Do nothing till the right moment, unless you want to dash out your brains against a pillar in the dark. Too frightened to argue or struggle further, Scamperoo at last subsided. All about, courtiers, servants and guests were screaming and bumping into each other or the furniture. And when a stern hand suddenly seized his bridle, Chalk trembled violently in spite of himself. Follow me, directed a firm, stern little voice, and no harm will come to you. Now Chalk had been expecting to see or hear Martia, and the sound of this small, strange voice was a welcome relief and surprise. Taking a firmer hold on Scamperoo, he thrust out his head in an endeavour to touch or feel the newcomer. As he did so, the hand on his bridle began to tug him gently but firmly forward. Look out there! Mind what you are about! The Emperor of Oz is just ahead! Whinnied Chalk, now thoroughly alarmed. We are not used to taking orders from strangers. Oh, we won't be strangers long, promised the strange voice pleasantly. So this is the Emperor of Oz, and is this the way you usually carry him? Come on, Bitty Bit, what's the use of all this arguing? put in another voice impatiently. Let's get out of that confusion. The wizard's laboratory is right across the hall. Tell him to come there. A girl, decided Chalk, with another gulp of relief. Maybe we are not so badly off after all. And lifting his head, in spite of Scamperoo's great weight, he spoke proudly and confidently. "'Whoever you are, we welcome you to Oz, and if you can explain this unearthly and unexpected darkness, we will gladly follow you and do as you say.' "'Good,' chuckled Bitty Bit, tugging manfully at his bridle. "'This way, please.' There was still so much screaming and confusion in the throne room, no one had overheard the conversation between the newcomers and the emperor's horse and guided by the invisible hand, Chalk crossed the room without bumping into anything or anybody. A moment later, they were in the quiet, dark laboratory that had once belonged to the Wizard of Oz. End of chapter seventeen